This episode is brought to you in part by Wholehearted Love, a new book by Caleb and Stephanie Rouse. Overcome the barriers that hold you back in your relationships with God and with others and delight in feeling safe, seen, and loved with Wholehearted Love. For more information, go to Tyndale.com. Hey, Christ and Pop Culture members, Hannah and I are here and we want you to know just how much we appreciate all of your listenership and your support and your membership to Christ and Pop Culture. Now, we don't say this to everyone, but you really are our favorite listeners. (laughs) Yes, for sure. (laughs) And to show you, to prove to you our undying affection, we want to give you access to the unedited version of the interviews that we have been doing for Persuasion. We hope you enjoy them. We're so glad to have Sam Perry with us today on Persuasion um, to talk a bit about the work he's done within um, the question of Christian nationalism and particularly about a new book that he co-authored and it's been released um, this year, Taking America Back for God. Sam, thanks so much for being with us. Oh, thanks so much for having me. Now, could you just give us a quick um, bio or overview about where you enter this conversation? Um, maybe a little bit about where your study is focused and and the book itself. Sure. I, I think we got interested in this topic really in earnest right after the 2016 election. Um, and it was primarily because of, of the conversations that were going on about who voted for Trump and the role that Christianity had played in there. I think the narrative that we had kept on hearing, and this was just repeated over and over and over again, and it, it seems like it's still repeated, is uh, that you know 81% of white evangelicals voted for Trump. And that was that phrase that kept getting thrown around, white evangelical, white evangelical. And, you know, um, me being from an evangelical background and my co-author from that background as well, uh, they just didn't sit right with, with the kinds of, uh, evangelical Christians that we knew. And, uh, and it seemed like, you know, I wonder if there's a, an underlying factor, uh, or belief system or value, uh, cultural framework, we call it that, that seemed to drive certain pockets of conservative Christian Americans toward Trump and everything that he supports. Uh, and so we had some some we had some hunches that that Donald Trump especially was successful at appealing to this narrative that, you know, this this nation rightly belongs to Christians and uh, you guys are being victimized right now as Christians and everybody's out to get you. But what I'm going to do is I'm going to I'm going to give this country back to you. I'm going to I'm going to fight for you guys. I'm going to stick up for you and uh, and I'm going to be your your hero if you support me. And, uh, and lo and behold, one of the first studies that we did on this topic, we, we had some survey data where we asked all of these questions about what America believe, what Americans believe about a Christianity's role in American civic life, like whether they think the United States is a Christian nation, whether they think it ought to, we ought to advocate Christian values, or whether they don't think there should be a separation of church and state. And we found that Americans' beliefs, what we call Christian nationalism, uh, were among the leading predictors that somebody ended up voting for Trump. Uh, and we have, in subsequent studies, we've found that Christian nationalism strongly predicts uh, how Americans think about immigration issues, gun rights, the military, whether or not uh, we ought to salute flags, uh, whether or not you support Black Lives Matter, whether or not you think the police uh, wrongfully discriminated against African Americans. All of these really, really important and key uh, social and political hot button issues. And so the book was really trying to to 
develop more fully this idea of Christian nationalism and, and really how we think it's kind of hijacked uh, American evangelicalism in, in in completely unfortunate ways. I don't I don't think it necessarily contributes anything positive to the to the subculture of of what it means to be a committed Christian in the United States. I think it's it's mostly political idolatry that wraps itself in religious language. Um, and so that's where we come in. So there have been some other books that have that have talked about Christian nationalism from a historical perspective, uh, really the tracing Christian nationalism through the centuries and up, up until the present moment. But we are the first book, and we wanted to do this, this was by design, that, that really applies quantitative data. And so what we wanted to do is we wanted to understand, okay, well, how big is this phenomenon? You know, how many people could we describe as Christian nationalists? Uh, are there... Are there large differences? Where, what, where, what is the demographic profile of these people that we would consider Christian nationalists and how are they different from other Americans? And so we, we intended our book to be something that would be accessible to a, a popular audience, not just to sociologists, but also something that would, I think, quantify uh, the kinds of things that other writers had been documenting about, you know, really a historical progression of, of values and beliefs. I so appreciate um, you tracking that down, that um data we had about the 81% of evangelicals, um, you know, being of a certain disposition or voting a certain way, because I remember um, sitting with that number and feeling that in some ways it, it, and again, I'm not dealing with data. I'm much more of an anecdotal generalist. I'm coming from a place of local church life. And in some ways I could say, okay, there's strong support, okay, there's a lot going on here, but it's also not tracking, particularly with my understanding of evangelicals that are most committed, maybe theologically committed to their faith. It made a lot of sense to me. Um, Anecdotally, it was more reflective of the person who has a kind of religiosity or religious disposition, but not necessarily committed out living it out. Um, So I love that you make that very clear, and you do that in the book as well, is that there is overlap here, but you're actually identifying something very, very specific that can't be summed up by this evangelical category. Um, So I guess that presents the question, um, what exactly do you mean by Christian nationalism then? If it's not... The category of the evangelical voter, if it's not necessarily this committed Christian, um, what were you looking for? What kinds of things signaled to you that this category of Christian nationalism and, and what exactly are you defining by that term? We try to, as you, I think you, po- you just pointed out, we, we try to be very careful about our definitions in the book because we want to be crystal clear for readers what we are and are not talking about. So uh, by my definition, I understand evangelicals, white evangelicals, to be um, to be really more of a, theo- a theological category. Uh, it's a, uh, it refers to a subculture uh, of, of Christian that of, of Protestant Christian mostly that that uh, holds a high value of scripture, uh, believes the Bible is, if not inerrant, it, it is it is infallible and trustworthy and the, the ultimate authority in somebody's life. Uh, they believe that uh, salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, that people need to share the gospel. Um, evangelicals tend to have more of an activist bent 
towards the world, unlike fundamentalists in decades past who just kind of retreated from the world, evangelicals engage, right? We, we engage politically, uh, you engage through, through representing or witnessing. Um, and so evangelical in that sense is, is not a political category. It is a, a theological category. It speaks to a specific theological like subculture. Christian nationalism, we think of more of as a, a, a political a quasi-religious political ideology, and it's almost uh, it's almost ethnic in the sense that uh, the word Christian means something more than just Christian in a theological sense. So let me give you the broad definition, then I'll give you specifics. Um, when I say Christian nationalism, I'm I'm referring to an ideology that idealizes and advocates a, a fusion of American civic life with a, a very particular kind of Christianity. And whenever I say Christianity in that definition, I, I always want I always want to say this, that it, there's an asterisk by that, that word Christianity, um, because it means more than just whether or not somebody has asked Jesus into their lives, whether or not they consider themselves a disciple of Christ. Um, Christian in that sense is kind of like what we call a dog whistle. Um, if, if you're familiar with that term, dog whistle politics me is 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 always in reference to uh, when I want to say something ugly about a group of people and I can't say it specifically, I can use these kind of code words that people kind of understand uh, underneath the underneath the, the 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 subtext there. And so historically, if I wanted to say, I could say I could say words like urban or illegal or terrorists, when what I really mean, and everybody kind of gets, is poor inner city black, uh, Mexican, uh, Muslim, you're, you're kind of getting the subtext there. So in this same sense, the word Christian and Christian nationalism is kind of a dog whistle. It, it, it means people like us. Uh, it means Christian in a, in a very broad cultural sense, and more so like an identity. Um, not necessarily, as you were pointing out, not necessarily like your belief or your commitment, but more so kind of commitment to a certain kind of core identity. But it also means it implies white, uh, it implies native-born uh, American citizen, it implies conservative. And so what Christian nationalism wants to institutionalize in the United States is a fusion between American civic life and that particular kind of Christianity, in quotes, right? That, that culturally conservative, white, native-born, Christian in, in identity. And so how do we measure this? Well, in the book... We actually, and we've done this in all of our studies, and I think we've developed a pretty good way of doing it. Um, what we do in the book is we ask all Americans, we, we distribute these surveys, these national surveys that, that, that look at a representative sample of Americans, and we, we ask them to respond to six statements. And these are statements like, the federal government should declare the United States a Christian nation. And we ask them, how much do you agree or disagree with that statement? Or another statement would be, the success of the United States is part of God's plan. Or uh, the federal government should advocate Christian values, you know, and and so we would we would probably agree that the the more somebody is in agreement with those statements, the more it seems that they subscribe to this kind of Christian nationalist ideology. And so what we do is we add up all these statements together. We make a scale that goes from like zero to twenty four, and we just call that our Christian nationalism scale. And in the book, and what we do is so that we don't have to talk about how people scored like a two or a five or a twelve on that scale. We divide up that that little measure into four categories that we call rejectors, resistors, accommodators, and ambassadors. And just really briefly, that just goes along the scale. Rejectors are people who absolutely reject 
Christian nationalism and any kind of connection between Christianity and the government. Um, resistors uh, are kind of like rejectors, but just less adamant. On the other side of that, you've got accommodators who that actually is like a third of Americans who mostly consider themselves Christian and they think religion is a good thing, but they're pretty uneasy about marrying the two completely. And then you've got ambassadors. And then we call this the the true believers. These are folks for all intents and purposes. This is who we're talking about when we're talking about Christian nationalists. These are people who strongly agree that the federal government should declare the United States a Christian nation or that uh, the success of the United States is part of God's plan or that we have a special relationship with God or that kind of thing. And you, you might be surprised. You, you might think that's a small group of people. Uh, that actually is a fifth of, of the United States uh, in that population that we call ambassadors. Um, and so it's not a, it's a minority, but it's a, it's a pretty substantial minority. This episode is brought to you in part by Beyond Ordinary Women Ministries, which prepares Christian women for leadership. At Bow, we believe that every woman is a leader because she influences someone. So, whom do you influence? Do you mentor a woman, serve in the workplace, or do you lead a small group, teach the Bible, or even lead an entire ministry? No matter who or how many you influence, our free online resources will help equip you. Our videos, podcast episodes, and articles from experienced women leaders will encourage you and perfect your leadership skills. They offer wisdom for dealing with ministry pitfalls, current biblical issues, health for your own soul, and insights for shepherding others well. In addition, BOW offers Bible studies designed to connect women of multiple generations. They provide a challenge to both women new to the Bible and those wanting to dig deeper. Be our guest and browse all of our free resources and low-cost Bible studies at beyondordinarywomen.org. What's so fascinating to me as I listen to you is how much of this is um, a, a disposition or a posture in many ways that um, I would say most people who are perhaps um, either um, accommodating it or promoting it um, probably don't even know the extent to which this is happening, I would assume. Like, like I hear you say we have these statements and they agree with these statements, but it seems like a lot of this is passed along and kind of, as you mentioned, the dog whistle or the wink and the nudge and the kind of cultural uh, pointing or cultural shifting in certain ways. And that's curious to me because I think especially um, in this moment in the digital age with social media, how much of that propagation happens through things like memes or those kinds of digital winks and nudges. Like we kind of all know what we're talking about here. And it's kind of, um, I guess promoted is a word, but it seems like it reinforces itself. Have you seen a particular effect on this? Um, like has the digital age brought something or allowed for something to happen or has this always been the case? I mean, like, what do you see happening in this particular moment? You know, I, I do think that I think the digital age and I'm, I'm somebody who, um, you know, make I, I use I use things like Twitter as professional leverage. Uh, I think there it's you know, those those things can be really helpful to disseminate information. Um, but I also, you know, having written a book 
about how Christians uh, deal grapple with issues like pornography in their lives. This was before a previous book before this one. Um, well, you just like to take all the heavy topics. Yeah, I know. You? I like to take the fun ones. Yeah. So it's, 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 uh, but I, you know, I, having written that book, I'm, I'm in, I'm, I'm somebody who's pretty ambivalent, uh, about the contribution of things like social media and our internet age to contemporary social life, uh, for a variety of reasons. And one of them being political as you're talking about. And I say, so I, I think the digital age is really, really, in some ways it's been positive because we can push back against these kinds of narratives that demand that I, that I see America's fates and the fate of Christianity uh, as one in the same, or, 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 is, or, or that we have some kind of uh, narrative of, of uh, America's history that is completely whitewashed and baptized, uh, and we deny any, any wrongdoing, and we just see all of our founders as um, people who are, they, they look like you and me, right? Like white uh, upper middle class conservative Christians or committed Christians, uh, and uh, that 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 has always been the privileged position in the United States. And so, with I think like things like social media, we can quickly counteract those kinds of claims. And yet, you you've got an enormous number of people on Facebook and Twitter who are who are able to um, I think circle the cultural wagons and signal that. Hey, to be a real Christian, somebody who's a serious Christian, is to take this hard line about fighting for American culture and to engage in these culture wars. I, I think that's kind of what this is all about. Is is um, I think the culture wars between uh, religious conservatives and people that they perceive to be leftist progressives who want to uh, wrongly divorce uh, Christianity's. Uh, happy marriage to, to American culture. Uh, I, I think you see this exacerbated by social media. I, I'm no longer on Facebook for that reason. I mean, I just found it to be such a toxic, um, melees of, 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 uh, trolling and, and misinformation, which I think Facebook is not necessarily owned up to. Um, Twitter seems to be at least for the time being, someplace where I think that that those kinds of narratives can be counteracted quickly because things go viral and you can kind of uh, address those claims um, more easily. But um, I, I think what what we also see, and this is uh, something that we we I, I would love to highlight, is um, Christian nationalism seems to incline Americans towards believing conspiracy theories, uh, and because the internet, especially social media. Is has become so adept at uh, facilitating and rapidly disseminating misinformation and conspiracy theory, like QAnon is is this, this great example. Um, Christian nationalism seems to incline Americans to buy that, right? Like it, it seems to incline Americans to suspect that there's some kind of evil plot on behalf of the government to topple uh, Christian cultural influence and authority, and to and to enslave Christians or to abuse them or to take advantage of them. Um, and so we actually see this in a lot of venues, not, not just generally as kind of buying into conspiracy theories, but Christian nationalism uh, is associated with being somebody who is an anti-vaccine person. Um, I'm, I'm writing a paper right now that shows Christian nationalism is, is strongly associated with uh, a lack of, lack of knowledge about science, like basic scientific facts. Um, it's also associated with, and I've got all of these other measures from a survey I've collected recently, 
um, Christian nationalists even se- seem to, to reinterpret America's history in, in ways that are patently false, like when historical events happened or what the First Amendment says or, or these kinds of things. And so to the extent that the Internet is able to disseminate misinformation quickly, uh, Christian nationalism, I think, helps facilitate that snowballing in a way that that generates, I think, a kind of a, a religious and cultural hysteria among committed Christians uh, in ways that are, I think, wholly pernicious. And they feed into the they feed into the game plan and the strategy of those who I think want to use Christianity to preserve preserve their own political power. And I think that's kind of what we're seeing right now. Yeah. Again, um, just from an anecdotal perspective, as I watch. Um, the conversations happen online or I'm watching friends and family engage on Facebook. One of the things I've noticed is that in the past, um, you know, maybe early 2000s, if I had a friend who was somewhat inclined to conspiracy theories, um, they existed perhaps in a space where they it was more difficult to connect with other people who shared those same viewpoints. And so they could in real life, they could, you know, perhaps through, um, you know, books or mailings or whatever, they could bolster their own view, but they existed in a group of people that would also look at them and say, really, really, you think that? And so there was this kind of inherent pushback. um, But with the rise of social connectedness via the digital age, we can find the people who affirm what we um, believe. And, and this goes with every, you know, every disposition, every viewpoint. And so there's almost kind of a validation effect that I'm not the only one who believes this. I'm not the only one who sees it this way. And I can see someone else um, confirming this for me. Therefore, it must be something valid that I can continue to believe in and promote. Which also brings me to the question of, how do we have productive conversation about these questions, especially for people where I think this is so tied to kind of a complete lifestyle, a complete way of being in the world? As, as you keep pointing out, there's all of these correlating views that you're not just talking about this isolated um political stance. You're not just talking about, well, I think this about an issue. It's a whole way of navigating the world. So how do we engage in productive conversation around these questions? That's a great question. So um, I'm going to be both uh, a little bit skeptical and a little bit optimistic for you. So uh, thinking about ambassadors of Christian nationalism, this 20% of Americans who I, I would say are true believers, and they really do embrace this wholeheartedly. Um, I am, I am currently skeptical of, of our ability to really per- do a whole lot of persuading, uh, in that category. Cause I, I think, like I said, that there's a, a huge link between Christian nationalism and proneness to buy into conspiracy theories. Um, we've got some evidence to suggest that like really the sources of information that, that ambassadors of Christian nationalism are taking in come from basically exclusively, uh, Fox News, Breitbart, and and Trump. Um, and so that that being the source of so much information that they're taking in and that they trust, it's really difficult to have a, a conversation and even agree upon like what is a fact, like what is what is a, a reliable um, 
piece of evidence. What, what happened and what didn't happen. Yeah, I mean, it's just, it, yeah. and that's in, in the, like I said, the, the, the social media and the, the spread of in, misinformation is so toxic to our democracy and, and, and so unfortunate. But I do think, so that was my skepticism. But I, I am optimistic. I am truly optimistic about that ambassador category. So if you remember the ambassadors, this is a third of Americans. And they're what I would consider friendly to a, a Christian nationalist narrative because they're, they're con committed Christians and they feel like, hey, you know, my Christian faith is a good thing. Surely more faith in the United States would be a good thing. Christian values are a good thing. And maybe they're uneasy about like, you know, uh, nullifying the separation of church and state or saying that, you know, God is committed to America above all that kind of thing. They're uneasy about that, but, but they're, they're, they're Christians who are, who are potentially friendly to that, that kind of, um, narrative. Um, I really do think there are opportunities to, to engage in discussion. And that is really what we're trying to do in the book is to say, one, look at all the inconsistencies there. Uh, Christians, committed Christians know that, um, sure, like I, I think having a, a coherent social order where we cooperate and we kind of share some common values, I think that's a good thing. And yet we see Christian nationalism essentially leading Americans to be intolerant of outsiders, to be more xenophobic, to be racist, to be uh, uh, even authoritarian in the ways that we deal with um social deviant. So for example, Christian nationalism is strongly connected to believing the police need to get tougher on offenders, that they, that they deny that African-Americans experience any kind of uh, inequality in front of the police, that the media are exaggerating any kind of like abuses, um, that, uh, that we really ought to be, we all ought to be rah-rah uh, Second Amendment and pro-guns and, and all, of these, all of these kinds of things. And so um, and not that, you know, guns I, I like are inherently bad. I just mean like that kind of culture of, of, you know, second amendment above all and defending gun rights at the, at the cost of all of this kind of common sense legislation. And so I really do think ambassador or accommodators of Christian nationalism, this category, I think these kinds of Christians, these kinds of Americans are ready to have those conversations because they see the inconsistencies between, I think what a, what a candidate like Donald Trump presents himself as, uh, the kinds of things that he says versus the kinds of things that he does and lives out. Uh, I think there is an inconsistency that we can observe between what I would consider to be pretty prominent representatives of Christian nationalism, like Robert Jeffers uh, at First Baptist Dallas. Uh, I would say Jerry Falwell Jr. before his recent fall from grace, uh, Eric Metaxas, who was just videotaped sucker punching some kind of protester at like this, this RNC rally. I think, I think accommodators of Christian nationalism, we, I, I want to have those conversations to say, look at the inconsistencies, right? Like you want to be somebody who embodies the values that Christ would want us to embody, to, to live the kind of life that is Christ-like. Um, and yet Christian nationalist ideology seems to want to incline you to live in contradiction to that. Um, so that's one example uh, is 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 identifying some of those contradictions. And I, I don't want to cut you off, but I want to say how important that is. Um, in my own experience of conversation with folks, the question of a consistency, not as a bludgeon, but to say, I know you believe this. I know you hold this to be true um, about you know, even something about your vision of what America should be. 
And at some point, this other road, this this train of thought, this Trump train or whatever, is going to conflict with what you hold to be true. So, so one of the ways of using the inconsistency that I have found helpful is to say, at some point, you can't hold both of these things. And we're going to have to really sift through our priorities and say, which one is more significant to us? And well, I, I, just to follow up on that, I think the the second thing that I try to emphasize, and we emphasize this in the book in almost every chapter, is that uh, commitment to one's faith does not mean Christian nationalism. And in, and in some, uh, oftentimes, they behave in the exact opposite way. So um, we have these, you know, uh, statistical models that we use where we control for all of these other factors and we kind of predict Americans' values and behaviors. And something that we find is that Christian nationalism will often influence Americans in one way to take a certain set of views and religious commitment. So how often somebody goes to church, prays, reads their sacred text, that kind of thing, often inclines Americans to go in the exact opposite way. So let me give you an example. Um, We find Christian nationalism, the more somebody adheres to Christian nationalism, the less friendly they are towards the idea of immigration. They think immigrants are like drains on society that we need to build border walls, all of these kinds of things. But once we account for Christian nationalism, we find that how committed somebody is to their faith actually makes them go in the opposite direction. So in other words, like the more they go to church, read their sacred text, pray, the less likely they are to hold these really intolerant views of immigrants. I'll give you another example uh, about one I just used a second ago about like race and policing. So this is really controversial topic right now. Uh, police brutality against African-Americans in particular. And we find that as somebody increases in their adherence to like Christian nationalist ideology, the the more likely they are to deny that there's any kind of inequality in policing. Black Americans get punished because they deserve it. If they get shot, it's because they deserve it. Uh, that kind of, They shouldn't, shouldn't have resisted. Christian nationalism seems to want to blame black Americans for the, the things that they experience at the hands of police. But we find in those same models, once we account for Christian nationalism, the more committed you are to your faith, the less likely you are to hold that view. In other words, you're more likely to acknowledge racial inequality and policing and that kind of thing. So um, we want to we want to we want to hammer home this this statement that um, our argument is not with people who are committed Christians at all. Right. In fact, we're asking you to be more committed, uh, authentically committed to what we feel like is a sincere commitment to the values that 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 Jesus embodied, and that is not Christian nationalism. That is uh, that is love and forgiveness and self sacrifice and tolerance and and uh, and we feel like things that a, a truly democratic society allows us to do and live out, whereas Christian nationalism seems to want to institutionalize and enshrine a completely different set of values that that, as you just said a little while ago are really in contradiction uh, to what we feel like a Christian ought to, to be about. Well, Sam, thank you so much for joining us and sharing your work and helping us clarify these categories. Um, I know that our listeners are going to be greatly benefited from it. And if you're listening now, go get uh, Sam's book. It is Taking America Back for God, Christian Nationalism in the United States by Sam Perry and his co-author, Andrew Whitehead. Thank you, Sam. Uh, It's a privilege. Thank you. You have been listening to Persuasion with Aaron Straza and Hannah Anderson. 
an official production of the Christ and Pop Culture Podcast Network. Please rate and review the show in iTunes and check out our other shows at christandpopculture.com slash network. Theme music by Maiden Name. This episode was brought to you in part by the Lord of Spirits podcast. Many Christians yearn to break free of the influence of secular materialism and to understand the union of the seen and unseen worlds as made by God. What is the spiritual world like? Tune in wherever you get your podcasts.